Hello and welcome to another installment of Con of Tea with your SE. A quick reminder that the thoughts and opinions expressed here are our own and to please consult with Cisco TAC or Cisco certified partners before implementing any of the recommendations made on this show. I am your host, Brian Young, and today we're going to talk about Hyperflex. Joining me today, Brian Boyd. How you doing, Brian? Doing well. I like that you called this an installment. It is an installment. It's uh, it's an episode and an installment. You know, we got we got to switch it up. Next next week will be something else. Um, so so Hyperflex um, are better also known as Hyperconverge throughout the industry. Hyperflex is Cisco's branding. Um, let's let's talk about that today. But Brian, I think we should start off with uh, kind of understanding more about the virtualization layer, right? What what makes Hyperflex work? Um, can you tell us a little bit about you know what is virtualization and how it works? Yeah, I think uh, before we start talking hyperconverged and hyperflex, it's important to start you know back at the advent of virtualization. Uh, if you don't understand that, you probably won't understand what makes hyperconverged so special. Um, so traditionally, there was a one-to-one relationship between an operating system and physical hardware. Mm-hmm. You know, you probably see this in your PC all the time. Um, the problem with that is, of course it's inefficient. At any given time, you're not using 100% of the compute resources available to you. Right. So someone took a look at that and they said, how do we make this more efficient? Well, virtualization. Let's put several operating systems on that one piece of hardware to get closer to you know maximum resource utilization. Makes sense. Now, you've got one physical piece of hardware, you've loaded it out with memory, CPU, storage, and you put you know, let's say 20 virtual machines on there, Mm -hmm. 20 of your most critical applications for your business. You know, let's say one thing happens to a drive. Do you see anything wrong with this picture we're painting here? (laughs) Yeah, it sounds like a a lot of eggs in one basket. Exactly. So someone took a look at the onboard storage and they realized, hey, you know, it's probably not a good idea considering just how much we have riding on these servers Mm -hmm. uh, to, to have onboard storage with absolutely no redundancy. Okay. So... Where this brings us to is something called converged infrastructure. All right. Someone said, let's have shared storage on the back end. We'll build in plenty of redundancy. We'll have the, the you know, servers themselves handle the virtualization and the, uh, the compute resources, and they'll talk to each other. Now, now when, you, when you say, when you say re- redundancy, you don't just mean redundant drives. You're talking redundant controllers and, and, and the, whole, the whole mess. You're exactly. Saying, taking whole, that out of the box on the onboard and, and bringing it to a device that's specifically made for that purpose. Exactly. We're talking okay. NetApp, EMC, Pure, things on the back end that build in, like you said, not only you know RAID as we know it, but also controller redundancy so that there's no single point of failure in your back end storage. As, as time went on, um, people got better at making them work together, you know, modifying the queue depth, buffers, things like that, and we get something called converged infrastructure, where you can actually go onto Cisco's website and look at Cisco validated designs for various converged infrastructure. So, okay. so if you're a NetApp shop, you would have a FlexPod. If you're mm-hmm. EMC, you'd have a vBlock. Basically, it's just validated designs for those different backend storage with Cisco UCS um, on the front end and networking in between, whether you want to use an MDS for your fiber channel, or if you want to use just Ethernet for iSCSI or NAS or you know whatever you're using, NFS. So converged infrastructure, it would be the next step beyond just using a SAN, right? Where all your storage is on the SAN. So converged is using is using some onboard storage as well, or how, how does that? What's the difference? So converged is you know makes use of a, a SAN. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just using it in a optimized way. You know, if someone okay. handed you 
a NetApp, some Nexus switches, and some UCS, you probably have no idea where to start. Mm -hmm. So basically this makes it so you have a pre-built out config, Cisco approved config, and then you have the CVVs to tell you exactly what settings to use, mm -hmm. you know, what CLI commands to use as you're setting it up, uh, so you know you have a validated design. There's no guesswork involved. Okay. Um, so this worked for a while, and mm -hmm. it still works today, uh, but someone took a look at it, and you know, I think everyone understands this, but the backend storage is incredibly expensive. Right. Not only that, um, you have to maintain separate infrastructure for it a lot of times. A lot of right. people will break out fiber channel using uh, MDS or, or brocade switches. and um, Some catalyst switches, maybe? <laughs> well, the MDS would be, uh, would be our version of fiber channel. Catalyst uh, right, right. can't do fiber channel. Right. But, um, you know, all of that eats up storage space or rack space, mm -hmm. eats up uh, power and cooling, right. eats up cabling and, and extra cost. And then the storage itself is expensive. Uh, so someone, you know, said, hey, we have these, you know, pulling it full circle, we have these hard drives on the servers themselves, why not put them to use? Mm -hmm. Obviously, you know, if, you know, that brings us back to our original problem of, hey, if that server goes down, you just lost 20 VMs and your entire, you know, your entire data center is going to be down. Right. So this is where hyperconverge comes in. Okay. Someone said, let's build in redundancies across all of our storage nodes so that if we lose one, that's not a big deal. We have copies of storage on the other servers that those virtual machines can access. Okay. So that's hyperconverged in a nutshell. All right. So as you said, really, we're coming full circle now. So instead of we're, we're going to utilize the storage on board in an efficient and effective way so that we have the redundancies built in that we didn't have before. So if we lose one host, we're okay. But we're also going to reduce the footprint as far as how many RUs we're taking up, how much cooling we need, how much power we need, because we're going to be running one or two less boxes, right? We're going to be running everything on the host versus having all the hosts plus a backend storage device. Does that sound that right? That is correct. It's okay. exactly the aim and what we're trying to do. And we'll talk about the other benefits uh, later in the, in the session as well. But um, you might be asking, you know, how, how do we do this? Mm -hmm. How do we achieve this, you know, when previously you would lose a couple disks, it would break raid, and your server would go down? You know, how do we achieve this uh, spreading data across the nodes? Um, right. It starts with abstracting the data from the nodes themselves using a storage driver. Okay. What it does is it basically um, makes the storage appear as if it was network-attached storage, mm -hmm. and it shares them across all of the nodes. So this acts as an intermediary between the host's operating system and the actual storage themselves. Exactly, yeah. Okay. It's a driver that does specifically that. The second thing we do is something called a replication factor of three. So for every copy of data that you write down, it's going to create two more and spread them across two other nodes. Okay. That way, if you lose one of the nodes that has the original copy of data, you've got two others to rely on. Okay. So the virtual machine will simply V-motion over to the other one. It'll spin back up, no downtime or mm -hmm. very little, and it'll immediately create another copy of data so you'll always have three. Okay, and this is done during the right cycle or does this happen and is there a maintenance piece that happens or I'm trying to figure out when, when, when I'm when you say the replication factor when I'm writing data to disk on you know from an operating system standpoint mm -hmm. that replication happens immediately across all the nodes yes okay they so before I even get the the acknowledgement back before the operating system gets the acknowledgement back that the data has been successfully written the hyperconverged technology the storage driver has already written it across it's doing it in parallel yes okay cool 
And um, so, and then let's say, you know, you, you eventually you're going to replace that node. Uh, mm-hmm. All that happens is it'll restore that original state in a, in a manner of speaking. So it'll, it'll pull back up. The virtual machines will automatically spread across, you know, an efficient way. Mm-hmm. And it'll maintain that three copies of data. Okay. That's, uh, that's interesting. And I would imagine it's a little bit more efficient than uh, rebuilding a RAID array as far as having to do all the calculations from getting the dissimilar pieces out of the other drives and having to calculate what that is and before knowing what to write back. Yeah, exactly. It's not as painful. It all happens automatically. You, know, okay. it'll, you, you just install the node, and it'll automatically take care of rebuilding that cluster and uh, spreading the data across for you. So any failure on a node, right, or as a... As a uh, um, it's not, I guess we, we can't call it a host because it is a node. It's not considered a host because it does, it's not seen as a host. But as, an, as a node within this stack, right, any failure, whether it's uh, power supplies, um, drive storage, driver uh, storage controller, the whole node itself, it doesn't really matter because I have double redundancy across the other two nodes at the very least, right? Yeah, so, I mean, it's still a traditional server in that there's redundancy built into the individual device itself. So if you right. lose one power supply, that's fine. You have right. other power supplies. If you lose one fan, that's fine. But if the whole node goes to hell and I can I can literally pull it out, put in a whole new a whole new node and it will recognize it, rebuild it pretty exactly. much pretty much hands off. And that's where you get that extra layer of redundancy with hyperconverge and that you can lose a node mm-hmm. or, you know, depending on how many node failures you want to build into this thing, you could lose two or three right. and still be fine. Totally fine. Now looking at the converged equivalent of that, right? Mm-hmm. And it would be pretty, it'd be a bad thing, but it would be pretty rare that an entire storage array would go down. But in the event that an entire storage array went down, let's say it caught on fire, right? All the, all the magic blue smoke uh, came out of it. Um, the only way that you would be able to have that level of redundancy in a converged, as we, as we just described in a hyperconverged, would be to have two storage array networks, right? Storage uh, SAN devices and have replication going on between them, which is not immediate. It's usually on a schedule, 30 minute, 15 minute a day, whatever, right? Yeah, but as you said, it would be incredibly rare. It would have to catch on fire. And then at that point, you would be in a, in a disaster recovery scenario. Right. So. Okay. So it sounds like hyperconverged has a lot of uh, of benefits here. We, we touched upon uh, the benefits of uh, less cooling and less power requirements because you're using up less hardware, which includes uh, less uh, infrastructure in terms of rack space and just additional hardware that you need and, and have to maintain maintenance on and support and keep an eye on. Um, what other benefits can we can we talk about maybe in the in, in the storage piece besides what we've already talked about in terms of replication? Right. So Hyperflex is going to have built-in deduplication and compression. Okay. Um, and those actually stack on top of one another. Okay. So basically, you know, we're just making all, you know, the, the best use of the storage we have by making it more efficient. Right. Um, not only that, we have built-in native replication. So if you have two separate Hyperflex clusters, mm-hmm. you can actually replicate between the two using a built-in feature of, you know, the Hyperflex dashboard. And how, at how often can we do that? At what kind of rate are we talking? Is it near real time? Is it, is it 15 minutes, half an hour? What kind of replication are we talking about? So you can do it real time if you want. Okay. Uh, or you can put it on a schedule, which I believe most people will do. Okay. And um, you can back up as much or as little as you want. So if you want to just replicate the most critical VMs in your mm-hmm. infrastructure, you can do that. If you want to do them all, you can do that as well. 
Just what kind of what and what kind of requirements would be would we need for real time replication across across two data centers? In terms of like bandwidth or, or latency stuff like that. So sorry, when I said real time, I meant like you can have it scheduled right now, and you can replicate whatever you want across. Oh, okay. okay. If you yeah, you know that's something different. Where that's stretch clusters. Where uh, okay, we can get into that later then, right? Yes. I hope. Okay. Okay. So I'm I'm sorry, I, I I mixed messed those up. So replication across the two. Okay. So you can either do that on demand, or you can have it scheduled to to replicate uh, virtual machines across. Um, okay. And dedupe and, and compression, that's, uh, those are pretty big pieces, but I think, uh, would you say that a lot of customers get nervous about dedupe and compression in terms of performance or you know actual usable disk space um, when you factor in dedupe and compression? What, is, what has been your experience there? Sure, they definitely have their concerns. Uh, so two big things, and I'm glad you brought this up. Um, number one, there's no performance impact for Hyperflex with uh, dedupe and compression. And that is okay. something our competitors, most of our competitors cannot say. Okay. Um, the second thing is the numbers. You're right, you know, we tend to assume 15 to 20% for both dedupe and compression. Mm-hmm. And some customers are gonna argue that, and that's totally fine. Every environment is completely different. So when we're sizing this out, we'll either use very conservative numbers, like 5%, mm-hmm. or, uh, or just completely, you know, don't rely on it, okay. use 0%. As we're building it out, that way any benefit you get from dedupe and compression is going to just be a little side benefit that you get. Just icing on the cake at that point. Exactly. And then as you go to scale this out, you'll have a much better understanding of what your numbers look like, mm-hmm. and you can size it accordingly. Okay. And we talk about um, performance, right? And I have to bring this up. When we talk on the storage layer, what are we? What kind of drives are we using? Are we using uh, spinning rust, as I like to call it? Are we? Are we doing some sort of hybrid approach? Are we doing all flash? What are our options there? We have, at this point, mm-hmm. uh, uh, at this time of recording, several options. Okay. So we have hybrid, like you mentioned, which is going to be a caching layer of uh, SSDs mm-hmm. and the actual storage layer of uh, hard disks, spinning okay. disks. Um, that is, I would say, a great combination of cost versus performance. You know, mm-hmm. we make great use of that caching layer using the you know the faster SSDs. Whereas the uh, the storage itself is you know not as important to be as as quick, mm-hmm. uh, and, and you get better you know, cost per drive out of that. Okay. We have all flash, which is going to be everything as an SSD. Mm -hmm. And uh, we also just came out recently with all NVMe drives, which takes it even further. Wow. From a performance standpoint. Okay. So, I mean, from a, so it looks like the the, the lowest performing uh, design that I'd be looking at would be like a hybrid, right? Which is still using that SSD um, caching. What kind of IOP performance am I looking at, and, and am I looking at any reduction in speed? Um, you know, the more boxes I look at, what, what does that curve look like? So I would um, direct you to actually the ESG report okay. on uh, Cisco Hyperflex. It compares us to two of our biggest competitors. All right. Um, so you can get the IOPS data from there. Okay. And, and I'll be sure to put that in the uh, in the links for the for the show notes for that. Absolutely, that yeah, we'll want to get that out to people that want to take a look, um, just so you can see the consistent performance that we get using uh, Hyperflex versus the competitors. Very cool. So consistent performance even on a hybrid, where exactly. we're using um, spinning disk and ca- SSD caching. Um, consistent performance when more uh, virtual machines are added. Exactly, and the reason we get that is because we actually break up our virtual machine data across nodes. This okay. is one of the main differentiators we have with competitors. Um, they require that a virtual machine be on a node, mm-hmm. whole. 
Okay. Now, this can create performance hotspots. If the virtual machine's on the node and it's accessing it on the node, then it's going to be quick. Right. If it's trying to climb across con you know, consistently, then that's going to be slower. Right. And you'll see this reflected on the ESG report. Sometimes it'll, you'll have really low IOPS, sometimes you'll have really high IOPS. They're kind of all over the place. Exactly. With, with Hyperflex, we break up the virtual machine data, so it's never going to be all on the same node. It's going to be spread across the nodes. This means that we have consistent performance. Okay. This is an important differentiation. And you can see this in, in terms of a graph uh, on that ESG report that we talked about. It's very similar to how uh, what makes an SSD drive very efficient in terms of its capability to read for multiple p spots on its you know different NAND chips or whatever from with, within itself to be able to very quickly in, you know almost in parallel pull the data from various sources and then you know reorganize it and send it out that interface at a faster rate. Would you kind of just say that that's kind of what we're doing here with the uh, Hyperflex? Yeah, uh, you could you could make that comparison. All right, I will. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we mentioned um, the ESG report where we're talking about competitive advantages. Um, we're talking about Cisco Hyperflex versus uh, competitors A, B, and C. Uh, we make it a point not to call out vendors specifically, but. Without going into too much as far as calling anyone out specifically, what other uh, uh, competitive advantages uh, do we have versus the other players in this space? Right. Well, it's impossible to talk about advantages without starting with the networking layer. Okay. So this is something that's unique to UCS as well. Okay. Um, where no matter what you're doing, um, if you're purchasing blade servers or you're looking at Hyperflex, fab Fabric Interconnects are going to be included. Okay. Um, and FIs, or Fabric Interconnects, uh, for those wondering, are essentially Nexus 5Ks um, or 9K architectures, but they have software loaded on them to manage the hardware southbound. Okay. So either the Blades or the Hyperflex. Um, this comes with a number of advantages. Some competitors that don't have this advantage will sort of send you a document or tell you exactly what you need, and then it's on you to procure it, configure it, and set it up in a way that's compatible with their hyper-converged solution. Which, that can introduce a few scenarios of uh, problems. Exactly. <laughs> you know, as you can imagine, number one, it's stressful because you have to make sure it's, it's set up right, and then human error can come into play. Right. You know, if you didn't set it up correctly, you could be chasing down performance issues between two different vendors. And additional cost if that's not something that you've budgeted in the, in the process of, of procuring. This. Exactly. If you're thinking, hey, I'm going to go purchase, you know, this other vendor's hyperconverge, and I'll just plug it into my uh, run-of-the-mill 10-gig switch, and you find out that's not going to be good enough, then you could be looking at additional cost whereas ours is baked in. So not only that, you get the, uh, the traditional benefits of UCS with okay. those Fabric Interconnects. This includes service profiles, which is uh, kind of like, uh, it's described as a SIM card for your cell phone. Mm -hmm. A service profile is that for your server. So it's gonna have your identity on it, your, your MAC address, IP address, your virtual NICs that you've created, BIOS policy, any identity that you could possibly put on a server is going to be stored in that service profile. Okay. Why that's important is if you ever had a failure or you needed to swap identities around, it's right. as simple as taking that service profile and putting it on a different server or Hyperflex node. Okay. It's that easy. That that takes out a lot of the guesswork out and it reduces the human error piece. Of exactly. It, right? And you can build templates to spin up these service profiles off of. So it... it drastically reduces the uh, difficulty of configuration 
and then the stress when you're replacing a node. You know, traditionally you break into BIOS, configure everything there, set it up. This you literally just throw a service profile on, let it boot up, and you're good to go. Now, are we the only going back to the FIs here? Um, and you, you mentioned the network layer. Are we the only hyperconverged competitor right now that includes the networking aspect on our hyperconverged solution? At the time of this recording, yes. Okay. And what additional benefits can we can we take from that? So ease of management, like mm-hmm. we went over with the service profiles. Yeah. Performance, because these are purpose-built for Hyperflex and UCS. Um, and then uh, the last one I would say is the virtual interface cards, which are going to come with any blade purchase. Uh, but since we're focusing on Hyperflex, they come with Hyperflex as well. Uh, these are joint fiber channel and Ethernet adapters. And you can create virtual NICs and virtual HBAs for your storage and for your Ethernet. Okay. So getting that getting that management, <clears throat> excuse me. So being able to get the management of the hardware, the the storage piece, as well as the networking piece, all under one suite, right? One under one dashboard um, is going to be big. Not having to worry about you know is this how many connections does this node have into the network versus how many this node has, um, and then of course I think by wrapping up the fabric interconnects into this bundle, right? By making it kind of a turnkey solution in that regard, we really are able to have much more control over what is and what isn't allowed to communicate within this infrastructure. And I think therefore gives us the ability to um, extract the most amount of performance out of these pieces. Great point, because we're controlling every aspect of it. It's uh, kind of the way that Apple does things with their iPhone versus Android, right? You know, Android gives you the capability to run on, you know, anything you want, right? That's how, that's why a couple of years ago you go to, you can go to CVS and get a $40 Android tablet, but then you, you give it to someone at Christmas and they open it up and they're like, what the hell is this? Because it was, it was just too slow and it, they didn't have the controls over every step, right? They made the software, but they left the hardware to someone else. Uh, whereas Apple, you know, I can call them out because we're not competing with them, at least not in this space. Um, Apple has such control, tight controls, over every piece of that of that puzzle, right? They have controls over the software, then they have controls over the hardware and the manufacturing to make sure that everything is purpose-built and specifically designed uh, to work. And because Cisco plays in all these areas, right, storage, servers, networking, especially networking. We've, we've done it for a little while. Um, we're able to make sure that these pieces intermesh together, whereas our competitors in this space really can't. Exactly. And uh, taking that one step further, support. Because we control every aspect of it, and uh, the one piece that we don't make ourselves, the virtualization layer, mm-hmm. uh, is going to be either VMware or Microsoft Hyper-V. Mm-hmm. You can purchase that through Cisco, and get that supported by Cisco. That way, if you're having an issue with any aspect of hyperconverged, be it hyper uh, the um, virtualization layer, yeah. the servers themselves, the networking layer, you call up Cisco and you get the same person for each aspect of that. Whereas with other vendors, if you're having an issue between networking and the storage nodes, you'd be you know you know multi-vendor call trying to troubleshoot that, which can. Uh, for those that have been in that situation, know it's pretty painful. And a shout out to our friend in services, Caitlin. I know she's uh, she's always listening to us. But uh, to take that even a step further, if you are using multiple vendors in your environment, right? Because at the end of the day, we realize that it's not always going to be all Cisco all the way through. But if you are implementing other pieces to this puzzle that you do need or you do want to bring in other vendors into this mix, 
uh, something like solution support with our SmartNet contracts will make sure that uh, that Cisco will be that main point of contact and will help you if there are other vendors that need to be uh, need right. to be brought into the mix. All right, so that pretty much covers um, you know the benefits of UCS and a networking layer. Um, just other miscellaneous things, uh, the number of options you know that you have available to build out your hyper-converged infrastructure. Okay. Um, so you mentioned you know we do have control over everything, the networking layer, the servers themselves, so on and so forth. Um, but we provide you with plenty of options. So we've already gone over the all flash versus hybrid. So no, you know, no matter what type of performance you need out of your drives, we have you covered. Um, form factors. If you have a specific storage number you're trying to get to, mm-hmm. we can use either the large form factor or small form factor drives to get there. Okay. Um, VDI. You know, Windows 10 is going to start requiring uh, more GPU power, mm-hmm. which is you know pretty unique. Uh, we have GPUs that you can throw into your hyper-converged infrastructure and uh, turn them into a VDI cluster. Nice. For, for customers that are looking at VDI or looking into it uh, for their environments, hyper-converged is really, it seems like it's going to be the, the, the best way to get there just because of the performance, um, which again will be outlined in that ESG report that we'll put in the notes. But um, from an IOP uh, performance standpoint, and as well as you just mentioned out with the GPU uh, capabilities of, of throwing those in there as well. If you're looking at VDI, you should be really looking at Hyperflex because it's going to give you the best bang for your buck, I think. Mm-hmm. And um, then just the scaling, like we mentioned, you know, you can get exactly what you need, mm-hmm. uh, have the ability to scale in the future, but you're not paying extra. You're not, you know, paying for extra storage and you're not paying for extra compute. You're, you're scaling it exactly how you need it. So let's talk about scaling a little bit. I don't think this was on the notes. Uh, it might have been. It but, is. Okay, perfect. Um, shows how much I read them. So <clears throat> when we're talking scaling, right, how, how can we scale? Are we limited in, in the type of scaling we can, we can choose? Can we scale only in terms of memory and CPU and, and not be able to add storage? Can we do vice versa? You know, what are our scaling options here? And then how big can we, can we get? I think we talked about, I don't know if we talked about the minimum number of nodes, for a hyper a hyperflex environment, but I think the minimum now is three, right? It is. That so is correct. We have to start with three nodes at a minimum, just because we need that replication factor of three, right? We need to be able to write it across all three locations. How how big can we get, and how can we scale out in terms of you know, do, am I am I forced to go one route versus another, or, or do I have a choice? What what are we what can we do? So as of recording this episode, and I keep saying that because hyperconverged and hyperflex specifically is fast evolving. And, we'll uh, probably have to do another one of these next year to just update all the things it, that we said today. It's <laughs> getting better exponentially. But okay. uh, at, at the time of this recording, we are up to 32 hyperconverged nodes and 32 compute-only nodes for a total of 64 nodes per cluster. Oh, wow. Um, what that means is those 32 hyperconverged are going to be the you know storage and compute all in one, mm-hmm. and then we have the ability to add either UCS rack or Blade servers uh, to that c- cluster for compute only power. Okay, this is really going to come into play for VDI, where it's pretty light on storage mm-hmm. requirements, but you need a ton of CPU, memory, and GPU uh, t- to build out. So we can we can add nodes, compute nodes that have GPUs built in to um, add additional capabilities to that 
a cluster. Exactly. You have that option. Uh, so not only can you put GPUs in the Hyperflux nodes themselves, you can put them in the compute-only nodes. Mm -hmm. The point is you can build it out however works best for your environment. You have, okay. you know, you have those options. And um, an important distinction here is we don't license for compute-only nodes, which is a big, uh, another big competitive differentiator. When you, when you say we don't license for compute-only nodes, what, what do you mean exactly? So you need to purchase licensing for your Hyperflux nodes. Okay. Um, depending on what feature set you need. And this is Hyperflux it. licensing. Exactly. Okay. And uh, yeah, depending on what feature set you need, you'll, you'll have a different license. Okay. That's going to be per node. Mm -hmm. But for compute-only nodes, if you're adding in those UCS, either you know blade servers or rack mounts, those don't need to be licensed. Interesting. You so you, you need just additional RAM and CPU. Or GPU. Or GPU. Yes. You can add another node. Not need No need to license it on the Hyperflex side because we're not doing any of the storage stuff that we're doing on the full hyperconverged node. Exactly, yeah. We're okay. extending that data platform out to it right. so it can you know access the rest of the storage. But wow. because there's no storage in those nodes, you know, that's kind of, it feels kind of cheap to license that. Okay, that's, that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. All right, so we, uh, we talked about scale. Um, yeah, so really important, uh, another note on, on the uh, differentiators. Uh, what happens when you need uh, compute at, at the branch? You know, what would you do? Normally, I guess you would buy a rack mount, maybe mm -hmm. one or two, throw it out there, and probably wouldn't touch it for a while. Mm -hmm. Well, with Hyperflex, now we have the ability to do something um, where we can put a two, three, or four node cluster out there without Fabric Interconnects. So you can use your existing um, infrastructure mm -hmm. at a branch location and uh, actually extend Hyperflex out to that. And we call that Hyperflex Edge. Okay. And that's important because we can manage that through something called Intersight. Okay. Which I don't believe we've talked about on these we podcasts haven't. yet. We haven't yet. So you'll have your main cluster with your Fabric Interconnects, and you'll have whatever compute you need out at your uh, branch locations through Hyperflex Edge. And all of this is going to be managed from a single point called Intersight. Okay, so this is so this allows us to extend uh, a smaller, and I think you said two node, right? Mm -hmm. So we, this we, can, Yeah, Hyperflex Edge can actually be two node. Okay, so we can extend, we can put a lower cost, smaller edge type solution at a branch location that's managed at the headquarters, uh, which allows us to centralize the management uh, and what benefit does it does it have any interaction with the main cluster? Do, do we need to have a, a main a main uh, hyper uh, hyperflex cluster at HQ in order to get an edge? Or no? Okay. No, you can put these wherever you want. Um, okay. You don't need the main one. Nor I just brought that up as an example because mm -hmm. most people are going to have compute at their data center. Right. Um, you know HQ location. But the main benefit is uh, it's at the edge. Compute at the edge is a big thing. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, most people are like, "Why do I need to come back home for a print server or a file server, local um, AD server, or something?" Yeah, like exactly. That. When you can have that on site, you know, there's there's no reason not to have it. But the main benefit is that management through Intersight, which is our cloud management uh, offering, um, where you can basically once you set it up at the at the branch location, everything's going to be managed. Uh, from a central location, so you don't have to worry about going on site unless there's something wrong with the hardware. Nice, sounds like another good cap um, a good case, use case for VDI in terms of if you have if you're trying to deploy VDI throughout your organization and you have X number of branch locations, you want to extend it to them. You know, usually it would be okay. I need to build this whole entire infrastructure at all these locations. That can be very costly. Whereas uh, Hyperflex Edge at each location, and then of course your your larger um, implementation at, at, at your data center or HQ. 
sounds like a sounds like a good good play for that. Right, exactly. It's just adding options to the uh, to the portfolio where if you need a smaller footprint out there, you have it. If you need a full blown hyperflex cluster out there, you can do that as well. So we talked about management with Intersight here. Um, what about managing with your, let's say, VMware um, hypervisor, right? Because we're this is an abstraction layer, right? We're, we're still going to be managing the nodes and, and and the you know the the hyperflex piece on on the hyperflex uh, management console. But for all intents and purposes, this is an abstraction layer between the hypervisor and the actual hardware to make all this hardware appear as just a pool of resources to the hypervisor, such as uh, VMware or um, Hyper-V, right? Um, is there any additional ways of management through let's, that hypervisor that allows us to have a little bit of control uh, into that abstraction layer? Or? Right. Um, so we do have two options for management. Okay. Uh, the first one is going to be an HTML5-based GUI for mm-hmm. HyperFlex called HyperFlex Connect. Okay. And that's the dashboard that I mentioned. That That's how you would manage... Exactly. That's how you manage the hyperconverge itself. Okay. Know, spinning up new pools, spinning up the cluster first time. Setting up replication, stuff like that. Yeah, exactly. Okay. All that's going to be configured through there. Now, um, we, you know, most of our customers are, are going to be VMware. Yep. Just by virtue of market share. Right. So I'm going to focus on that. We do have a vCenter plugin mm-hmm. where you can do all of the functions of HyperFlex Connect through vCenter. Okay. That means you have a one-stop shop for managing your virtual machines and, you know, setting up stuff through VMware, which is where most people, once HyperFlex is set up, is, are going to be spending their time anyway. Right. But not only that, you can create the clusters there. You can um, create the, uh, the storage pools there. Any, any configuration you could do through HX Connect, you can now do through VMware. Everything? Yes. Wow. Okay, so updates, replicate, all, setting all that up, you can do that through yep. through the VMware And that plugin. way, all hardware management is going to be done through UCS Manager, which mm-hmm. is a chip on the, those fabric interconnects. Okay. So that's you know managing the nodes themselves, looking at your memory count, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And then all day-to-day operations uh, through, are going to be through VMware. Very cool. Very cool. All right, and one last call out uh, before we we end the episode. Mm-hmm. Um, hands on is really important for this, and you know a lot of people are, are still managing their traditional infrastructure, maybe their converged infrastructure. You want to see how it's different, how it plays, how it feels. Um, I would encourage reaching out to your account team. They can get a dCloud lab set up for you to okay. run through. It's great to get some hands on. Um, if you don't mind waiting, I would also ask them about test drives in the area. These are actually day long on site labs where okay. you can learn about the product, uh, hear from an expert, ask them questions, and then run through a, a lab yourself. Okay, very cool. So definitely reach out to your account team uh, to look for what resources are available t- to you to check this out, get hands on, try it out, look at it, see it in see it in person um, before making you know any informed decisions on you know moving forward with it. Right. Yep. All right. Well, Brian, unless uh, unless you had anything else um, you wanted to mention, I think we'll uh, we'll wrap things up here. No, I'm good. Very good. Well, thank you for listening to Conf T with your SE. If you have a question you'd like us to answer or a topic you'd like to suggest, please send us an email at hello at conft.show. And if you like the show, please consider sharing it with your friends and colleagues and giving us a rating on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. And if you're not already subscribed, go ahead and hit that subscribe button so that you can get notified when we publish a new episode every two weeks. 
Show notes for this episode can be found on our website at conft.show. That's C-O-N-F-T dot S-H-O-W. As always, stay safe out there and don't forget to save that config.